You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Northway family, good to see you this evening. Welcome to the monsoon service. So glad you're here. I've heard of the perseverance of the saints, but man, y'all put a whole nother meaning to it tonight. Jacob, I saw you running across that parking lot, man. No umbrella, just straight Bible. Get in here, man. Oh, this is how you know the elect are in this place tonight. Uh, Good to see you, Northway family. If you're a guest among us, I want to welcome you to Northway. My name is uh, Shea Sumlin, one of the pastors here, and so grateful you're with us tonight as we kick off a new series here. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd love for you to turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be anchored there here this evening. And um, we are starting a new series, new series called Onward, and uh, I can assure you it has nothing to do with like bluish purple creatures that are seeking reconciliation with their dead father. That is nothing to do with this uh, series. This onward is um, really kind of themed after just a reflection of looking back at the last few years of our time as Northway Church uh, and the transitions therein. And uh, one of the things, I mean, if you're new here, we, we've been through uh, quite a bit of uh, events here and just in the last couple of years. I mean, three years ago, uh, I got here 2018, August of 2018, almost three years ago this month, and, uh, and jumped right in. We were in the midst of transitioning off of a large multi-site mega church, the Village Church, transitioning off one of the campuses to becoming our own autonomous church. And I mean, from the moment that I got here, it was go. It was instantly try to figure out how to unhook this campus and, uh, and replant it as an autonomous church. We do that for a year. I mean, after I get here and then we commission, Northway is birthed. We're here. We made it. And then three weeks after we roll off, we get hit by a tornado, uh, which is why we're in this gym right now. And, uh, and you know, we hadn't even recovered from that. That whiplash has still got us. And then four months after we get hit by a pandemic and everything shuts down. And we, here we are rolling off of multi-site thinking we're never gonna do video again. And then we've got a whole year of it. And trying to figure out how to do that, none of us have been trained for that kind of playbook. None of us have been through a pandemic in our lifetime last time I checked. And uh, you know, seminary certainly didn't teach us how to, how to lead in those kind of contexts. And then all the things within that, the, the racial unrest, the political unrest that happened this past year, and then even moving into 2021, I mean, we had Snowmageddon and our office floods. So we've been out of an office for a year, just until a few weeks ago. It's just been one thing after another. And just in that regard, not even dealing with personal issues or whatever else, just in that regard, the one thing that has been very clear is that in our entire Um, being of this new replanted church of Northway again is that we have just been operating in reactive mode. I mean, just by default of just trying to field everything that's been thrown at us. And man, I, I could tell you for days how much good has been in it. I mean, the Lord has been so kind, even in all these things, just to galvanize us as a church um, to solidify our mission. We've, our mantra early on is we know that a church is not a building. It really isn't. It really is a people set on fire by God 
lit up by the Holy Spirit to go out and, and, and fulfill the mission that God has given us to glorify his name and make disciples. And we've seen that in such pure and, man, sweet ways over the last uh, few years here throughout it all. But it also goes without saying, there's been some hardships in it. I mean, there's just been some challenges. There just are. And feel like we never really got kind of got out of first gear of the big vision and hopes and dreams that we had for kind of planning our flag as Northway and what we wanted to build over the next 10, 20 years. And just everything is having to manage a lot of other things. And, and uh, even with the pandemic in the last year and a half, there's been so much disconnectedness, isolation, depression, um, trying to figure out how we, we stay tethered here together as a church while we're so isolated. And, and, uh, and then even with all the polarization in our culture, so much deconstruction and uh, divisiveness and doubt and just so many things going on in the church and not just here at Northway, this is church universal across the board through this pandemic. And in fact, um, one of the most recent surveys that just talks about kind of the, the state of the church where we're at, uh, kind of heading on the, the backside of the pandemic, so to speak, is some interesting statistics that aren't just theories, they're not just statistics, actually true. Um, I sat with uh, 11 different pastors last or a couple weeks ago um, on a hiking trip, and we were all sitting around, and of, of all that God was doing on the trip, we were also just talking about the reality of our churches, and, and this was a commonality. What I'm about to share with you isn't just something unique to Northway, it was with every single church uh, that was represented in that group. And that is this. It is, um, it's, it's believed that right now in the heels of the pandemic, when you take the average local church, there's about a third of the local church that existed pre-pandemic that is still here and is more bought in than ever before. There is a third of the church that is so dialed in, that's been through it, that says, come on, bring it, let's go, I'm in, I'm not going anywhere. And in fact, I'm more resilient right now through all we've been through for what the Lord has going forward. And you have this core that's just red hot. But then there is this other third of the church that is currently right now wrestling in their minds right now whether this is the church they're going to stay at. Whether the, and, and what there is is there's a rub of of one's ideology and expectations of what they believe a church should be and how does it stack up against the reality of the church that I'm at now and their theology, my ideology versus their theology and do they line up? And about a third of the church really trying to figure out whether they're gonna stick around or not if this is their future home. And then the last third of the church has actually already left. They're already gone. Many of them left when here at Northway when we had to put on masks. There are others who left when we told the mask to come off um, and everything in between. Um, and this, again, this is just not a Northway issue. This is, this is every, just about every church out there. And then there's a new third that's kind of coming in place of the last third that's starting to funnel their way into churches. And that new third is simply hoping that this church will be better than the one that they just left. And so that's kind of the state of where we're at right now. And uh, in many ways, everything has just been reactive to that. And so our heart, I know my heart, and I've talked to many of you, your heart, um, specifically that one-third core that's ready right now, 
We're ready to stop talking about what's being thrown at us and we are ready to start talking about what God has in front of us, of what it looks like not to just, not to just live in a reactive uh, state posture of mission, but to be in one that is proactive and to begin thinking about the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years of Northway's future. Now, I'm gonna be straight with you and tell you I'm no prophet here. The Lord may well indeed, last I checked, there's about six or seven other Egyptian plagues that are still available for us here at Northway. One of them, I think, is outside right now. Um, and so the Lord could, could do anything, and man, we're just going to lean into it, whatever he has. But at the same time, I'm ready to turn a corner in many ways. I'm ready to start dreaming and praying and thinking about, man, what do the days ahead look like, and, and how can we continue to fulfill the mission that we have? And so this, this, this desire for this series called Onward, of looking forward at the church, is is really going to help us, I think, kind of reframe what does commitment to the local church look like? How do we better embrace meaningful membership? And how do we more faithfully continue the mission that God has given us to bring glory to his name by making disciples, not only here in Dallas, but to the ends of the earth? And we want to put that North Star out in front of us. So here's how the next six weeks are going to roll. Tonight, we're going to look at the uh, kind of the idea of what it is we believe, uh, the doctrinal truths that hold us together as a church uh, that we are unashamedly committed to. Next week, we're going to look at the idea of we gather, of what a theology of a Sunday gathering is all about. Like, what is it that's unique about this room that just can't be replicated on a podcast or at home or in front of a Zoom screen? What is it that is unique about this space that God has designed for the flourishing of his church? And then Third week, we're going to look at the idea of we belong, and we're going to look at, again, meaningful membership of gospel-centered community. What is that stickiness that keeps us and holds us together, those one another's that drive us in our local togetherness as a body? And then we'll look in the fourth week at the idea of we serve and what it means to be a people who step into uh, service towards both the needs of this church and the needs of the city around us and how we can steward those service opportunities and the needs of those people. And then we're going to look at the idea of we train and the importance of equipping, the importance of training in the local church so that we can not only prepare ourselves for what is right now, but we can be resourced for what it is that may be coming our way as a culture and for a church so that we can faithfully engage on mission. And then the last week, we'll look at the idea of we send, that what it means to fulfill the kingdom mandate, the gospel great commission that God has given us to go and make disciples, to continue not becoming an insulary church focused on our own needs, but thinking about how we're going to go out and fulfill the great commission outside these doors in the city and the world around us. So that's where we're headed. Tonight, as I mentioned, we're going to talk about we believe. We're going to talk about the, the need for reinforcing the truths that hold us together and our hopes for faithfully walking those truths out as a body in the years to come. You know, I mentioned before, there's just a lot of distrust right now in our culture. Uh, everywhere you turn, it seems like this has been the year of deconstruction. Uh, both physically for Northway, but I think about spiritually around us, this has just been a constant second guessing of what is true, of what is right, what is beautiful, and, and having so many varied polarized opinions on what is true. Even just this past week, some of our staff 
some of the members we're talking about, just uh, one of the popular podcasts that's going around, maybe some of you are listening to it right now, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, and just reflecting back on Mars Hill Church out of Seattle that uh, really in the late 90s, early 2000s, had such a distinct gospel influence where we saw thousands and thousands of people come into faith in Jesus Christ, this amazing work of God through this church, and then all of a sudden in one night it's gone because of leadership failure and a number of other things. And it's fantastically put together, though it certainly has an agenda. And in it is just creating this, this like, ah, I just feel dirty listening to it. Just like, my, can you even trust the local church? Can you trust your pastor? Like, what's going on? But we don't know behind the scenes. And how can it seem like God had his hand on something so mightily and yet fall apart so quickly? And all the confusion, it just lends itself to more of the deconstruction language of the culture and some despair that goes with it. And, and so I just want to be straight before we even dive into the essence of what we're going to look at tonight. I just want to make four quick statements right up front concerning truth. And that is number one, at Northway Church, we are absolutely unashamedly committed to the belief in absolute objective truth. That we believe there is such thing as objective truth. It's not that all truth is relative. It's not that truth is really just comes from within. No, we believe truth is a fixed point of reference outside of us that has been revealed to us by God and never changes despite people and times and cultures uh, across the board. Throughout history, there is objective truth. And we believe that that truth is most fully embodied in Jesus Christ, that God actually sent his son, Jesus, to embody what truth is all about, not just to tell us what truth is, but to demonstrate in the very essence of what truth is. Jesus said in John 14, 7, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the truth. If you want to know what true is, you can look at me, Jesus says. He embodies truth. And then thirdly, we believe that Jesus has given us his word, the Bible, as the sufficient source of absolute truth, of what it is God wants us to know for how to live in this life. One of our values here at Northway is that of Scripture. We embrace and proclaim the truth, authority, and sufficiency of God's Word. We believe that. And in fact, Peter was mentioning this as well. Listen to these words from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. By his divine power, he, that is God, has granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Through the knowledge, that is the truth, of him, Jesus, who has called us by his own glory and excellence. Peter says, if you want to know what truth is, God has given us his truth in his word. And he has given us in his word, in the truth of Jesus Christ, he has given us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. Now, you know what that didn't say? It didn't say God's word contains everything you need pertaining to everything in life. Like if you want to know how to be an Olympic gold medalist swimmer, just read your Bible. It doesn't say if you want to know how to change the oil in your car, the Bible has everything you need pertaining to transmission. It, it, it does not say any of that. It says everything that you need as a follower of Christ 
pertaining to how to live this life in godliness, this is fully sufficient for what you need. You don't have to go searching anywhere else. God has made known what he wants us to know, what is true about how to live this life in godliness. You can build, Peter's saying, you can build your life on the truths in this book and they will not fail you. They will carry you through. And every Christian, every church, every generation has got to answer the question, are we going to be a people? Are we going to people who are going to bend God's truth to fit our desires? Or are we going to be a people who will bend our desires to submit to God's truth? That's the question we have to answer. The scripture is certainly after the latter. And so along with those, those three, we believe in objective truth. We believe that Jesus embodied that truth. We believe that Jesus has given us his word as truth. Fourthly, we believe the church, God's people, the church, is the place where God has decreed that his truth is to be preserved and proclaimed to the whole world throughout human history without compromise. This is the place that God has decreed above any other institution or any other people. His church is the place where his truth is to be preserved and proclaimed. And, and here's where we see this text that I had you turn to, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Listen to what Paul says here. Paul has just he's sent a young pastor to Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, to pastor a church there. He's a young guy. He's a brand-new pastor. He's pastoring this church, and Paul can't get to him yet. He's hoping to get released, go see him. And he writes in this letter, and he says in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I am delayed, then, Timothy, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which, by the way, is the church of the living God. I'm writing to you so you know how people are to live within the church, and he clarifies how that's done and what the church is all in one statement here. The church is a pillar and buttress of truth. It's a pillar and buttress of truth. And what do those mean? Most of us are probably familiar with pillar. Maybe some of our architects understand what a buttress is. Um, a pillar and a buttress. The pillars are the pillars that hold up the roof, that hold up the weight of the building. Buttresses are support beams, kind of these triangular support beams that, that project out from the walls or the pillars or lean up against them. And they're what hold the wall. All these together, a pillar and a buttress become literally weight-bearing walls for the load of the roof that is on them. We have walls in here. Granted, outside of an EF3 tornado, they're pretty good. They'll hold up. They support these beams on the side, the cross beams. They're going to support the weight of the roof and the elements outside so that we are secure in here so that this thing doesn't collapse in on us. And Paul says right here, according to Roman architecture, our job is just like it. The role of the church, one of the roles of the church is that we would be a pillar and a buttress of the truth of God against the weight of the world that is pressing in on top of us. We would hold that truth in place because we know that truth cannot collapse. 
Francis Schaeffer once wrote of the need for a stronger foundation of truth in the church and his great work, How Should We Then Live? And he writes these words. A culture or an individual with a weak base can stand only when the pressure on it is not too great. As an illustration, let us think of a Roman bridge. The Romans built little humpback bridges over many of the streams of Europe. In fact, if you go to Europe today, you'll see any 2,000-year-old Roman ruins of bridges, these little arches, many arches that kind of go over. They're holding these bridges up still to this day. And he says, people in wagons went over these structures safely for centuries, for two millennia. They're still being used today by little buggies and people walking across, but there's one design flaw in them. When he says, but if people today were to drive heavily loaded trucks over these bridges, they would break. He says, it is this way with the lives and the value systems of individuals and cultures when they have nothing stronger to build on than their own limitedness, their own finiteness. They can stand when pressures are not too great, but when pressures mount, if then they do not have a sufficient base, they crash. Just as a Roman bridge would cave in under the weight of a modern six-wheeled truck, culture and the freedoms of people are fragile. Without a sufficient base, when such pressures come, only time is needed and often not even a great deal of time before there is a collapse. Those bridges were great for their day, but they did not anticipate the weight that would come in future generations. And therefore there's a design flaw, and if that weight was put on them, they would buckle and collapse. I think some of the collapses that we're seeing in many of our churches today, it's not because God's truth is too weak to hold up the pressures of our world right now. It's that rather because too few Christians are willing to build with God's truth. They're, they're unwilling to build with God's materials and instead we've exchanged his truth for a lie and we seek to be, build foundations in our lives that are, that are built on our own wisdom, our own intellect, our own, as, as Schaefer said, our own finiteness, our own our own ideologies that we think we're smarter than God and we build these little frameworks for our lives and then the weight of the world comes and they cannot hold. Even for those who are so profoundly staunch in their atheism or profoundly staunch in their agnosticism, who boast in their anti-godness, all it takes is a storm to come. And you find out how quickly that worldview falls apart. All it takes is, is a little bit of shakenness in the ground to see how quick those structures tumble. Because only God in his eternal wisdom and his eternal truth has designed it in such a way to uphold us by his truth when those come. You know, both the books of Haggai in the Old Testament, as well as Hebrews in the New Testament, they both tell us that one day God is going to shake everything in the world. He's going to shake the whole heaven and earth. And when that day happens, every man-centered institution or ideology will fall. And the only thing that will remain 
is God's word and God's kingdom. It's the only thing that has been designed to be sustained through eternity is those truths. And I think in light of that, some of us, you know, we have already had our worlds shaken. Some of you in here have been through some crazy years. I'm not even talking about the Northway stuff I talked about, it being just personal challenges that you've walked through. You know what it's like to have your world shaken. And yet if you are a follower of Christ and you understand the precious promises of God and the power of the Spirit that sustains us, you understand what it's like to have an anchor that holds even in the midst of the fiercest storms. I don't know how many times I've looked at my wife and said, I don't know how that person is going to make it through this without God. I don't know how we would have made it through what we've walked through without God. And not that God is just a hypothetical crutch. I'm talking real living power of truths applied in the brokenness of our lives. God's truth is that, and the church has been called to be a pillar and a buttress of that truth in a day of compromise. Even Paul goes on to tell Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says these words, watch your life and watch your doctrine closely. Your doctrine are the ideas that you've pulled from Scripture that, that build our belief on what God has revealed about himself and the truths that last for eternity. These doctrinal beliefs that are core and foundational to understanding who God is and who we are, he says, watch your life and watch your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Don't depart from them. Hold fast to them as they hold fast to you in these storms. Why? Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In other words, be careful to guard how you live and what it is you believe because it can be the difference in salvation of those who are watching in on your life, let alone for your own life. And these truths that have been passed down to us, as Jude said, this faith that has once and for all been handed down to us, these truths, they matter. And we're not to depart from them, but persevere in them in both what we know to be true and how we live it out. Doctrine is not something to be taken lightly. It's not just nerdy head knowledge for the boring academia Bible nerds. That's not what doctrine is for. Doctrine has handles on it that give us grip when everything around us is falling apart and sliding. It helps us to be sustained in a fallen world. It gives meaning to our practice and it points others to the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And so what are those pillars that we hold to here in the church. I'm going to give us three ways that scholars have helped us to understand ways to look at truth in the Bible, varying degrees of which truths, uh, one we would call primary, others maybe secondary, and others we might call tertiary or, or third. Primary doctrines are those that are essential, absolutely non-negotiable beliefs and truths. Truths and, and ideas of the scripture, doctrines that we are willing to suffer for, we would even be willing to die for if need be because they are that true. And it's not really 
our level of understanding that you have to have full and comprehensive knowledge over the nth degree of this doctrine that matters the most. There is a progressive grace that God gives us in growing in our faith and understanding of these truths. It's not really our level of understanding that is as significant as much as it would be our altogether rejection of that truth that would then put us in a whole nother category of heretic or cult. These primary doctrines, this is where the real beauty of Christianity lies. And every Christian throughout history should agree with these primary doctrines of the faith. So there's primary, we'll look at these in a second, but then there's secondary. Secondary beliefs are what we would call convictions. They're not absolute, non-negotiable, they're convictions. Traditionally, these are the issues that most churches divide over. This is where denominations tend to come from. Um, Interpretations of truth that deeply matter. It's God's word and, and we read them a certain way and we understand them as they are revealed to us, but they are not necessarily binding in terms of one's salvation, nor should they be issues that we should break fellowship over. We can debate about convictions and we can land at different places and we can even have churches that seek to flourish in this conviction versus this conviction, but all together we would still be brothers and sisters based on the primary doctrines that we are unified in. So there's a difference here. They matter, they're convictional, they're debatable, but we don't break fellowship. And then there's a whole third level, a tertiary level, of these would be what we'd call opinions or preferences, usually revolving around church methodology or maybe even areas the scripture is just silent on, things that no one could possibly ever know the ultimate answer to, but their preferences nonetheless, we all have them. It's okay to hold them, but we're certainly not going to abandon one's church over these third level opinions and preferences when so much weight is given elsewhere. And to be fair, there's some bleed over on some of these. Some of these are hard to discern which camp falls into what, What might be an opinion to one person might be in a conviction to another, and there's some bleed over there, but here's the good news, is God has given us a way to work through those, and we're gonna get to that when we get to Romans 14 uh, here in just a couple of months. Romans 14 is gonna help us navigate what do we do when one Christian in the church feels strongly about this and the other one feels strongly about this, and they're either convictional or tertiary matters. What do we do? And and here's how it works, by the way, that the world loves to take what is... Uh, black and white in scripture and make it gray. That's what the world loves to do. You know what the church loves to do? We love to take what's gray in the scripture and make it black and white. And we oftentimes fight over those issues. There's a higher road that we can take and we're gonna look at it Romans 14. But how do we tell the difference? How do you know what falls in a church and what's, con- what's primary, what's secondary and what's tertiary that therefore just determines should be this be the place that I'm gonna stick with and hold fast to in a local assembly? How do we get to the place where we can discern those things? Well, there's a number of little micro tests that we can do with scripture to help us formulate an interpretive method, so to speak, that scholars have used. Here's a few things I'll throw at you. Number one, just the test of clarity, frequency, and weight that you can look at the scriptures and go, what are the truths that are conveyed in scripture that are just undeniably clear? Like there's just no guesswork over it. 
It says what it means and it means what it says. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, unless Jesus is a liar, he's being truthful here. There are no other paths to God. There's no third and fourth road. There's no other alternative religions. There's one way, and Jesus says, it's through me. It's the only way. My work on the cross is the only way you're going to have access to the Father. It's the only way. He's clear there. This is clear doctrine, clear scripture about salvation in this context. For others, it's not clarity. It's, it's, it's also frequency. Is there a particular doctrine that is communicated not just once, but over and over and over throughout the Bible? meaning it shows up in Genesis and then you see it again in Judges and you see it again in the New Testament. You go, okay, clearly this is a significant area of belief that the Bible is seeking to point me to because it's been on repeat over and over. And maybe if it's not only that, it also adds to it the idea of weight. Are there certain doctrines and truths in Scripture that are so weighty that even other truths in Scripture are pointing to this one? then that would be indicative of this thing carries some significant weight if other truths are actually pointing to this one. And so clarity, frequency, weight is one area that helps us kind of organize thoughts of truth, but also we can discern from how well said particular doctrine relates to the character and the attributes of God. Like what is it about this truth that is hinged upon the very character and attributes of God, that if I were to deny this truth, it would actually allow God to cease being God, then this should be a significant doctrine that we should pay attention to. If it begins to see that it's hinged upon the very attributes of God himself that are immutable and never changing. And then we might ask how this doctrine relates to the essence of salvation, the essence of the gospel, because after all, this is the storyline of scripture. Genesis to Revelation is not 66 different books with different stories. There's 66 unique books telling one story. And it's the story of how God, a holy God, has come to rescue an unholy creation. How God relates to us, how he has provided access to us. He's provided a savior for us, a deliverer for us that was promised in the book of Genesis and is consummated all the way in the book of Revelation. It's one story. So if we have particular truths in the scripture, how do they relate to that one story? Because that is the story, so these must be incredibly significant pillars that are upholding this major arc of Scripture. And so those are a few things. There's probably one other thing that we can look at too, and that is how does church history address this particular doctrine? Church history hasn't always been right on a lot of things. There's a lot of heroes of the faith, men, women, church fathers, whatever it may be, who were good, godly men and women, but had some weird offshoots to them. You can read a lot of great things about Martin Luther, and then you can read some awful things about Martin Luther as well. So their church history hasn't always been truthful and kind, but by and large, most of the core truths, the primary doctrines that the church and Christianity has held onto have been held onto for over 2,000 years, if not more, going back to our Judaistic roots. And so always want to be careful of somebody who raises up in our generation and goes, I've discovered something new that nobody else has found. Or you know what? I know this is what the church has believed for the last 1,990 years, but the last kind of 30, I've kind of, I've kind of realized it's all been wrong. It's a little red flag that may go off. C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. 
where we somehow think that we are God's gift on truth, that everything that was interpreted before us was archaic, caveman, patristic. They got it all wrong. And in our generation, we finally figured it out. Be careful of that. You're able to see doctrines that have been held to consistently for over 2,000 years. There's some weight to that. But what is it, where does it land for us in Northway? Let me kind of just give a quick, brief overview of what we would do in our membership class about what we hold to. When it comes to these three areas of, of doctrinal truths, primary, secondary, tertiary, for Northway, primary truths we believe are first about God himself. That we believe the scriptures teach that God, there is a God, there is one God, infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, a personal being who created everything that is seen and unseen and currently rules and reigns over all creation. A God who eternally exists as triune in nature, meaning one God, three persons, not three different gods, not one God that just switches modes, one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And we didn't make this up. These aren't just hot opinions. These are truths that come straight off the page of Scripture that have been held to by the church for over 2,000 years. And we hold to this view of this one God who is perfectly holy and immutable. He's never changing. And then we hold to the doctrinal truth of the Bible, that the Bible that we hold in our hands is the inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative, and perfectly sufficient word of God. And the 66 books from Old and New Testament have been given to us to be believed, obeyed, and equipped for life and for godliness. And God's truth is contained in here. When it comes to the doctrine of humanity, we believe that God has created in all his creative purposes, he created the crown jewel of his creation, male and female in his own image. Human beings, male and female, created in his own image, given to serve together as co-vice regents to steward his creation and his kingdom mandates on earth. And every human being was created incredibly and beautifully diverse and yet perfectly equal in dignity, identity, in essence, and in worth. From womb to tomb, the unborn child in his mother's womb, the aging person dying on their deathbed, the minority, the majority culture, the immigrant, the refugee, the able-bodied, disabled body, all are equal in God's creative order. There is no such thing as a supremacy of one particular human being over another. The world plays that card, but not God. He created, he's the author. And while men and women were created as this crown jewel, even though they are perfectly equal in identity and worth and essence and dignity, we are also purposely distinct. We're different by God's design, both anatomically, biologically, but also even spiritually in, in roles and responsibilities and gifts that he's given us. They're beautifully distinct and different that complement one another. 
And this applies in both the home and in the church and in God's creative design for humanity, created sexuality that was beautiful and good. It was part of human flourishing, but it was designed in a monogamous, heterosexual, covenantal relationship of marriage between one man and one woman. And God did that because God is a God of design and flourishing for his glory and for our good. And we believe the scripture teaches that and we don't change that just because time and culture seeks to. God's word is eternal and lasts timelessly. We also believe though in sin, the doctrine of sin. Starting in Genesis chapter three, that God's beautiful design got usurped by Satan, our great adversary who came and enticed the first man and the first woman, lured their flesh away into disobedience and rebellion to God, bringing about a curse, not only on them, but on all of humanity, on all of the earth that fractured the paradise that was once found became paradise lost. Eternally separating man and woman and every human being who would come through them from God, under judgment of God's holy and just wrath with no ability in and of ourselves to change our estate. We believe the scriptures teach that, but then we also see the beauty of the doctrine of redemption, that God is a God of good news and God found a way to rescue us by sending his own son the second member of the triune Godhead, God the Son, Jesus Christ, who came and who took on flesh and lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father that we faltered in, who's never sinned and who ultimately went to the cross as a substitutionary sacrifice, as a payment for the penalty that our sin demanded, which was death, and Jesus took it for us, absorbing the just wrath of God, taking it off of us and putting it on him. And those of us who put our faith in him alone and his work on the cross, his blood shed on that cross covers our sin, brings about forgiveness and ultimately saves and secures us, adopts us into the family of God by grace, not by works, adopts us into that family, reconciles us to God, seals us, secures us, and then lights us up for mission to serve the rest of our days out of the transformation that he's given us by the Holy Spirit to live for his glory until he returns. And this church that he has redeemed, this people redeemed into a, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, saved, cleansed, sealed. All of this is God's work. And then the ultimate hope as we as a church live on mission is that one day our Savior, Jesus Christ, will return. That we believe in a bodily return of Jesus Christ who will come, who will defeat sin and evil once and for all. He's already through the power of the cross defeated the power of sin, the very penalty of sin, and one day he will eradicate the very presence of sin and he will bring about the fullness of the consummation of his kingdom that he has given us here to begin initiating and advancing until he returns. That's what we hold to at Northway. That's what, that is what we have held to from the very beginning. And that is what the church has held to across millennia. All the age-old worldview questions, by the way, get answered in the primary doctrines. 
Why is there something rather than nothing? What's gone wrong with the cosmos? Is there any hope? And how will history end? Everybody's asking those questions. The scriptures answer them sufficiently. But then there's not just primary convictions, uh, primary essential doctrines that we hold to at Northway. There is secondary convictions we have as well. All right, there are areas of interpretation of scripture that are not binding on salvation, but we believe are clearly taught in scripture that we hold to here at Northway that, that might be debatable with other Christians who might look at the same text and go, man, I just don't land right there. And we're gonna be charitable towards one another. We are brothers and sisters as long as we are holding to the primary, but we can have difference here. And uh, you know, for Northway, it could be a number of things. One, obviously we're Baptist. We are a Baptist church. That is one distinction that we have, one secondary conviction that we hold to. We believe that baptism is a way to testify. It's been commissioned by Christ to testify to the salvation that we've already received in him. Baptism is not salvation, but when we enter into the waters, we're telling a story. We are signifying to the rest of the world that we have been buried with Christ and we've been raised to walk in the newness of life. We are followers of him. We've been baptized metaphorically, spiritually in our hearts into Christ's church. And, and so we unashamedly um, proclaim that. We see that in Scripture. Do, do we disagree with our Presbyterian brothers and sisters down the road that, that believe in infant baptism and, and the covenants that are therein and how that applies? Yeah, we disagree there. But we hold, at least our PCA brothers and sisters down the street, hold to the same primary doctrines that unify us as brothers and sisters. And that's okay. We can have healthy debate over that. But we differ. You know, we also hold a conviction here in a, what we would call a reformed soteriology, an understanding, a reformed understanding of salvation. That salvation, we believe the scriptures teaches, is a monergistic effort of God, not a synergistic, meaning it's a one-way street. God does the work to open our eyes to believe, to cause us to repent, to bring us to faith in Jesus, to seal us in faith that in the work of Christ on the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit as sons and daughters of God. God is, does that work from beginning to end. He'll carry us all the way through. It's not a synergistic, a cooperative effort where God just kind of leaves the ball at the net and it's up to us to figure out how to slam the thing home. We believe in sovereign election and predestination and we'll hold to that here at Northway. Are there others that disagree with us? Absolutely there are. And there are some even within this church who are still wrestling and that's okay. And I wanna say this, by the way, pretty clearly, it's okay to wrestle in some of these areas. What we will say is if you get to the place to where you feel this particular issue is so important to you that it's more important than even the primary issues that we're unified in, you need to see this in order to flourish to the church, then we would gladly encourage jumping on with another Christ primary believing body in, in the city here where you can flourish better. But otherwise, there's room for debate in here and there's room to wrestle with these things together. But convictionally, this is where we hold. We also hold it Northway to a complementarian view of men and women in the church. One in which we see ourselves as brothers and sisters, but yet distinction and roles and responsibilities and that God has called qualified men to serve as elders, as the leaders of the church, not because women are less than, not because they don't have brilliant ideas, not because they can't teach better, they can do all that. I'm married to one of them. But the truth is God has a design in his architectural design that leads to flourishing. And we believe that by faith and we take the scriptures at face value. 
and we hold to that. Are there men and women who disagree, who would love to see female teaching pastors up here? Absolutely. And there's some great ones that we respect and have fellowship with, but we have different convictions, and that's okay. But we're going to hold to our convictions here at Northway. And we could go on. I could talk about gifts of the Spirit, how we are uh, unashamedly continuationist versus cessationist. We believe in the full, fullness of the gifts that are available to the church today that were available to the church in the first century. We believe that. However, we are continuations with a seatbelt. We believe that there are uh, healthy biblical definitions and context for how those gifts play out, but we're convictional. And we want to grow in that. There's threshold for us to grow as a church. But again, if you're one, in the, if you're one going, man, I just so wish we were Bethel, or I so wish we would just copy and paste up a room here, and I get all that, and we have respect at certain brothers and sisters in places, that's, that's not the threshold we're at, but there's threshold for us to grow in our gifts. We need to do a better job here at Northway of training and walking in obedience, and we will by God's grace. But this is our conviction. And we could go on and on. I don't have time. Go through our membership class. We'll deal with it further there. When it comes to the final issue of tertiary, the opinions and the preferences, we've all got them. And some of us are really loud with them. Um, but we've all got them. And again, they usually revolve around methodology, worship style. Should we be a church that just sings hymns or Hillsong? Should we be a church that holds to our educational uh, preferences of private school? No, homeschool, no, no public school, whatever it may be. I mean, we have preferences in there. Sunday school versus small groups. Um, and I've shared with you, I've, I've shared with you before, one of the first times I confronted this, early in my pastoral ministry, I had a lady come up to me at the church I was at, and she goes, I want to know what your stance is on breastfeeding so I know whether I'm going to stay here at this church or not. And I was like, oh my gosh, they didn't teach me that at seminary, and turned to my glossary and my Bible, and I was like, where is lactation? I don't know. It's like, well, you, but you're kidding me, you're going to leave the church over that? Like, I get preference. Have a preference to the glory of God. Breastfeed to the La Leche Club till Jesus comes home. That's great. Glory, hallelujah. But you're going to leave a church over that. What does that say about your view of the primary issues? How weak are those if this is the issue to go? And so we want to have preferences. That's okay. But we want to be charitable with them. And we want to make sure the main thing is the main thing. Above all, we want to unify. Listen to this from Paul's words, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and following. With all humility and gentleness. That's how we want to approach these subjects, y'all. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Oh, how many of us need patience in these areas? Patience. Showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is one body, one Spirit, just as we are also called in one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We are one in Christ, one faith. Let's unify in the majors. Let's give charity in the minors. And let's stay on mission for the glory of God in the days ahead for Northway. Amen? Now, last thing I love to do here that we did with the morning services um, before we transition to communion 
is I'd love for us to recite an old creed together, if we could. Not creed the band. They retired a long time ago, but creed uh, as a confession. The Nicene Creed was a confession. Early church, the early church underwent so much heresy, so much persecution that it was important that they really decided which are the issues that are worth giving my life for because I may just have to do that. And I wanna make sure it's the right issue lest I give my life in vain. And so they gathered together in 325 AD at what was called the Council of Nicaea, really to defend against one of the prominent heresies of the day, which was Arianism, which is the idea that, that um, Jesus wasn't full deity, that he was created, not begotten of God. And they gathered together to talk about this, and out of this came the start of what would be known as the Nicene Creed. It'd be polished in other councils that would come after it, but it was said of the, Nicene, the Council of Nicaea that the vast majority of the pastors that came from all over the world to convene in this council were missing body parts when they came to the meeting because of the persecution they had undergone for suffering for the truths of God. This isn't theoretical. This is real. This may not be in our day right now in America, but this is in other parts of the world. So you realize there are men and women who have actually given their lives, who have given up their comforts because of the once and for all faith that has been handed down to us in Jesus Christ. And I want us, if you would be willing, if you were in agreement, if you would stand with me and let's read this creed here together as our confession, and then we'll pray. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. And all God's people said, amen. Y'all can have a seat. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus Christ. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 4 p.m. and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.